Our friend Kevin Burke, fabulous judge in Hennepin County for decades, was um, the chief judge for a number of times, still had his fastball when he was forced to retire at the age of 70, and Kevin is so kind to join us on a regular basis, and Mr. Burke is with us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Kevin, I know you know this case well, but let me get to part of the summation from the Star Tribune. I want to get to some things. I know there's parts of the Tribune story where you felt like they they could have given a little more detail, but let me just lay it out a little bit here from uh, a good Liz Sawyer story in the Trib. After learning that Hennepin County Attorney Mary Moriarty would offer a juvenile plea deal rather than seeking conviction in adult court, for two minors suspecting the killing of Zaria McKeever during a home invasion last fall, outraged relatives took to the street demanding that the judge reject the offer. It was an emotional court hearing yesterday. Hennepin County District Judge Tanya Bransford accepted a plea agreement for 17-year-old John Kamara that would result in one-and-a-half to two-year sentence at a juvenile correction facility in Red Wing. Prosecutors originally moved to certify Kamara and his 15-year-old brother as adults so they could stand trial for second-degree murder alongside Eric Haynes, the 22-year-old man suspected of orchestrating the um, killing. But that changed. I should add, too, that Kamara's 15-year-old brother has been offered the same deal but hasn't formally accepted the plea. So this has caused a lot of people, Kevin, to say, what is Mary Moriarty doing? What is the judge doing? How can this sentence be so soft for the murder of a 23-year-old when it involves a 17- and 15-year-old? And at first, it looked like we were headed to certifying them as adults. To that initial reaction, you, as a longtime judge, you say what? Well, first of all, uh, part of the plea agreement is that the child who pled guilty and the child who was offered uh, the plea has to testify against the adult in which the prosecution is seeking to convict him of first-degree murder. It's not an unusual situation for prosecutors to have a difficult situation in which they make plea negotiations to get people to cooperate and to testify against people that they believe are uh, more culpable or more deserving of punishment. The plea negotiation that the uh, 17-year-old accepted says that he has to testify truthfully, fully, and cooperate entirely with the state and its prosecution of the adult, uh, or the deal is off. Second, although the prosecution was seeking to have the two juveniles certified as adults, that's not a guarantee. You don't get just to say, I'm going to take you and make you an adult, particularly if you're 15. There's a statute. It's called the Extended Juvenile Jurisdiction Statute. 
It's been in Minnesota since 1995, and it's designed to have a stronger response to serious juvenile crime. The juvenile who pled guilty, if he does not um, do well uh, in the juvenile system, can be then uh, sentenced to 150 months as an adult. So even if he cooperates, testifies fully, and then goes to Red Wing, which is the juvenile correctional facility in Minnesota, and he doesn't do well there, before he even hits the street, he could end up uh, in prison for 150 months. How often does that happen, Kevin, where well, a juvenile the goes? <clears throat> okay. The critics of the extended juvenile jurisdiction say, are, and there are many critics of this statute, that say it's a fast track for getting juveniles into the adult system, particularly kids of color. Now, I don't, I don't buy that. I don't think that judges are just willy-nilly uh, uh, revoking EJJ jurisdiction and sending people to prison. But there is data because that out would there. just be an end around, right? If they're doing right. it, you know, yep. it looks like they're being more compassionate. But in the end, this is all really a setup right. to send them I, away I think- further. There's no doubt that there is data that that supports the critics' view. I'm not I'm not trying to be naive about this. There, the data is many kids who are uh, set into EJJ do get revoked and do end up in adult prison even before uh, they're released. So it could happen. One would hope that it wouldn't. Um, it's it's not defensible for a judge to just say, hey, let's go quick, make an end run here. But I think in your back of your head as a judge, having done it for a long time, you, you can't end up in a mindset that says, I gave you a, a break. I put you on EJJ and you've screwed up. That's it. I'm throwing away the key and sending you to the adult prison. So th- these kids, the one that did plead and the one who's now got to decide what to do, there's risk if they don't do exactly what everyone wants them to do, meaning the correctional facility people at Red Wing and the people who would supervise them after he gets out of Red Wing. So the charges say the Mm 15-year-old, and again, as of what I've seen so far, the 15-year-old hasn't formally accepted the plea. The charges say it was the 15-year-old who shot and killed McKeever. Do you personally think a plea agreement should be any different for the 15-year-old compared to the 17-year-old? We've been friends long enough that I rarely duck questions, but this one I will, is that the, the kid is more culpable because he allegedly pulled the trigger. Yeah, they'd have but to prove it. I don't it. really know enough about the case itself, nor importantly about the kids to say, which I would do. I think that if you look at this, then the one who did accept the plea agreement did not shoot the victim. Mm-hmm. So the, the uh, <clears throat> was there, no question, admits that they had part of uh, some responsibility for this, but they weren't the person who actually pulled the trigger. So the idea of, of saying, um, you know, 
there's no guarantee that we would be able to certify the 17, although it would, I think, candidly, it would be likely that you could. But the EJJ statute really is kind of designed for this situation. The judge, Judge Bransford, she is saying, I don't have any latitude. I have to accept this plea deal. I'm assuming she's right. Should the law change where she has more leeway? Well, I, I, I'm skeptical about that. I mean, legislators can do what they want. But so this is if you end up saying as a judge, I'm going to reject a plea negotiation that says this defendant has to cooperate to get testimony, get somebody else. You better be darn sure of what you're doing. What would be the reaction if it turned out that the adult in this case was acquitted because you didn't have the testimony of the 17-year-old who was willing to do it as part of a plea negotiation. So I think you start with, as a judge, you will rarely see a judge in state or federal court who would reject a plea negotiation in which one of the terms is you have to cooperate in the prosecution of other people. Then the next issue really is the peculiar nature of this statute. Uh, the statute says you're going to plead guilty and you're in the most serious lane, for example, of how we treat juveniles. Uh, and so I, I think that Judge Bransford, who is a really great juvenile court judge, she got the law right. My longtime friend and retired judge in Hennepin County, Kevin Burke, is with us. We're talking about this case involving a murder, how the 17- and 15-year-olds are being treated, uh, willingness to testify against the uh, adult who organized this. All right, Kevin, tell people your background with Hennepin County uh, Attorney Mary Moriarty. She was my law clerk 30-plus years ago. Uh, and she's appeared before me a a fair amount. Uh, I know her reputation is she's one of the best uh, trial lawyers, women trial lawyers in the state. Um, I don't think that this is really about she used to be a public defender and now she's the county attorney. This is a pretty straightforward application of evaluating a case, seeing the need for uh, testimony to get the person who's most culpable and deciding to make a deal like this. Credits. And, you know, the, the difficulty with yeah. plea negotiations is it's re- I, I taught criminal procedure at St. Thomas for nearly 20 years. And I would begin the class when we would discuss with plea negotiations by saying, I want you to raise your hand. How many of you are at least skeptical or outright opposed to plea negotiations? And most of the students would raise their hand. And then I would say, I think we need to rename it alternative dispute resolution. It's got a bad name. Yeah, that's But that's it, it really does. You say, oh, plea yeah, negotiation. Right, right. The person must have done something else. But let's be really honest. If... Um, there weren't plea negotiations to get people to cooperate. Richard Nixon would still be president. Right? So we've been making plea negotiations to get people to cooperate 
for decades, a long, long time. And uh, it's it's unseemly. It can make you feel uh, that's bad. But on the other hand, it happens. I mean, we do this because uh, there are some times in which to make sure that you get a conviction on the most culpable people, you make uh, plea negotiations with people, and then you tie it into uh, they've got to testify truthful and cooperate, and if they don't, they're really in a bad situation. Let let me finish with this on this case. Now, you've stated that Mary was your clerk, you respect her, you, you, you wanted her to win. Critics of hers were worried that she was going to be too soft, that Hennepin County and really the country needed a stronger approach on crime. And that too many, too many, let me just finish, too many uh, um, criminal acts are taking place, too many of the folks are getting out, and this is a mistake we're making. For critics who felt that way about Mary and now say, hey, I told you so, what do you say to them? Well, I say I would say let's just look at this week. Star Tribune reported earlier in the week two murder cases in which very long, very very long sentences were imposed at the urging of Mary and the Hennepin County Attorney's Office. Okay? So in those cases, there wasn't any cooperation. There was no leniency. They got darn near the maximum sentence. So now we've got a difficult situation. Again, I, I like the tr- reporter for the Star Tribune. I think she does a good job. But by not emphasizing two things, one, they wanted the testimony of the juvenile to get the adult for first-degree murder. And two, if the kid doesn't do well, doesn't do perfect, the kid ends up as an adult serving 150 months. So um, I, I think that uh, it's quite possible that any prosecutor, whoever was elected, was going to end up making the same decision. Always interesting information. Uh, give me the one thing the uh, instructor was working on uh, with you with your golf lesson a couple hours ago. Don't come over the top. Yeah, that's a move yep. we all face Yep. too, too often. I hope and I want to thank you in front of all of your audience because I agreed to do this in exchange that you will be coming to my house to shovel in the next couple of days. Yeah, don't leave <laughs> until I get there. Okay. <laughs> See you, Kevin. Bye-bye. Uh, retired Hennepin County Judge Kevin Burke. Uh, the mayor of Minneapolis, Jacob Fry, was very honest about some threats towards him When he joined us about 1235, if you missed it, we're going to play a portion of it when we come back. But you also can podcast it. What are you waiting for? Please podcast our show. Segments, half hours, hours. Uh, If you want to podcast all the other shows or if you want to say, Dave, let's miss the other shows are dead to us and just podcast to us. I'm more selfish. That's fine. If you want to podcast another show, you've got to podcast us twice. Yeah, that's three times, I'd say. Oh, okay. That's, that's fine with me, too. Times. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of the uh, serious matter involving the mayor of Minneapolis when we return on CCO. Jim Pete, 
with uh, travel and Wolves travel. It's been a while since we've talked to the outstanding Wolves analyst, who you heard, by the way, right here on this station a couple days ago when he brought negative energy to the Wolves broadcast, and then the Wolves uh, put up the outside Anthony Edwards, let's be honest, a putrid performance and got run over by Joel Embiid in the 76ers. It wasn't all negative energy on his behalf, I don't think. <laughs> Did they win or lose when he was calling, when he was with Allen? Well, they lost, but, I mean... As the uh, as the game was winding down, we did get to hear this. This has been way more enjoyable than working with Chad Hartman. I was I was not aware of that. Wow. Oh, that hurts. We'll have to play that again. I mean, I have feelings. Clearly, they don't matter to Jim. <laughs> they do not. Okay. Yesterday in the uh, two o'clock hour, we had on Latricia Vito, city council member. And she talked about there, there's been good reporting on it, not just here, but numerous other outlets that a city council meeting after city council meeting that whether it's her, in this case, it was her, but individuals are getting confronted, physically confronted, shouted at profanities, attacking their families and the need for security. And as I pointed out with Fry, it's not like you go to a city council meeting and you have to listen and have to agree with everything. Nobody's saying that. But, and even if there's times when you can have a conversation, maybe even a passionate conversation, there's a clear line, though, in confronting someone, screaming at them, profanities, challenging them, threatening them and their family. So ask the mayor about that and also what in particular has happened to him. So I haven't just seen these problematic behaviors in public. I've seen them in private. Uh, There are more mornings than I care to count uh, where I or my wife will walk down the stairs from our apartment or just look out our kitchen window and it says, kill the mayor in spray paint written up on our home. Uh, I mean, literally, kill the mayor. That's unacceptable. Um, People should be able to govern and council members should be able to vote without the fear that their family and or they will be targeted with threats and violence. Uh, And sadly, uh, yeah, it's getting out of hand and it's ridiculous. And every single person, regardless of ideology or perspective, should be speaking up on this. Good people are not going to want to do these jobs if they're going to put themselves or their family at risk. Uh, In terms of these council meetings, council members need to be able to vote. Sometimes I like the votes that they take. Sometimes I don't like the votes that they take, but I respect the process and I respect the sacred nature of democracy. You know, you can't have a bunch of people bombard a council meeting and prevent them physically or audibly from voting. Again, it doesn't matter what side of the spectrum. I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. We should all be standing up for this because when that breaks down, the fabric of our society does as well. Have you upped your security right now compared to what, where it was when you first started because of threats like you said, like you just offered up, which is chilling, frightening, criminal, and unacceptable? I don't, security hasn't been upped, but it certainly has been changed. 
Uh, I mean, there are instances when I've had to wear a vest uh, to because there were uh, very active threats. Um, and again, it's not unique to one side. You know, back when Donald Trump came to town, if you remember back in, what was that, 2019, I think. Um, yeah, we were getting active threats and you know, I had to wear a bulletproof vest around. Um, there have been other days where we have needed to have additional security because there are threats to either me or my family. Um, and definitely the number of threats and the frequency of them has increased dramatically over this past, I would say, year and a half or a couple of years. Uh, and so, you know, it's something sadly, but truly that has become a part of this job where it shouldn't, it, this should not, we shouldn't get comfortable with this because it's not okay. Um, and ballpark, how often have you had to wear a vest? That doesn't happen very often. Uh, I mean, I, I can probably, you know, count that on both of my hands, the number of times that I've actually worn one, um, uh, I mean, mainly it's, it's the threat uh, of the violence and not necessarily the violence itself. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. Could be Republican. It could be a Democrat. It could be confronting the city council member. It could be doubting when somebody breaks into a house and uses a hammer on Paul Pelosi. It could be people laughing and giddy when Mitch McConnell suffers a concussion. And this is where we're at when the mayor of a major city has to look out his window and see kill the mayor and wear a bulletproof vest. And I know we've had some element for some level, but it's getting worse. And it is accepted way too easy. And it's uh, pathetic that it continues to go the wrong way. The entire interview on a myriad of other topics, consent decree, um, Snow shoveling, Brian O'Hara, um, what he thinks about uh, car thefts and carjacking. All that is available if you podcast the interview with Jacob Frygan. Anywhere you get your podcasts, simple as can be, just sign up for uh, Chad Hartman Show. Follow us on the Twitter machine, Chad Hartman Show, Dave Harrigan. And uh, this week I'm fully now on the gram. That's have you been posting you. a lot? Posted a couple photos. I have the whale watching that's right. video up yes. there. I'm sure that's a big hit over yeah. there. Yeah. I've got a picture where I'm with Q. Okay. And I've got Q tubing. Uh, at some point, I'll probably put it on the Twitter machine and get more people. But if you want to follow, it's uh, we're, not, uh, we're not doing politics over there. We're just doing silly, likable photos. I like to join social media platforms a good Eight, nine years after they start. Well, you got to make sure that they're on the up and up. You're doing your due diligence. Exactly. So do me a favor. Uh, try all these things, including uh, Insta, Chad Hartman Show. Mr. Instagram himself, Jim Peterson, next. Jim is here. He is on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. And let me just set the scene here. On Tuesday, I attend a Timberwolves game. Uh, I attend the Wolves and uh, 76ers game and... I'm there with Q, and I look across. There's Jim Pete. He's, he's back to his roots. He's working radio with Alan Horton. And I, I heard some of uh, the byplay uh, driving home, and I thought it was very good. But I missed a certain part of the call that Dave Harrigan heard. Let's go to that soundbite right here from a recognizable voice. This has been way more enjoyable than working with Chad Hartman. Hmm. <laughs> Oh my gosh! You didn't hear that? Uh, well, I did now. I, I did. 
<laughs> Dave, Dave just played it for me, and I was laughing during the break. Now, I pointed out to Dave that I sent you this text. Hold on. i got to make sure I, I have it right here. I sent you this text. Um, Alan is texting me, asking me, how did you ever work with Jim? He never stops talking. I was reading that to Alan. We were both dying. Oh gosh! Uh, hey, the radio roots, man. It was great. It yeah. Was like, well, Alan does I, you know, great job, and you're familiar so with. Yeah, he's very good. Uh, it's too bad you guys couldn't get a better game. Unfortunately, I know. And and Ed Malloy wasn't refereeing either, yes. which would have been good too. Yes. So this is one of those things that you've known longer than me, but this goes back to when I was working games, and we'd hear this all the time. Well, you know what this what a really tough game is, is? It's really tough for the home team when they come back off a road trip and it's the first game. And I just call BS on that. I, I, I'm sorry. The Wolves were well-rested. They had uh, two days at home. The Sixers played the night before against yep. uh, an Indiana team that I think is better than the record. And they're without Harden. I know I was shocked that James wasn't going to play back-to-back. There's better chance I give up golf currently than James going to play back-to-backs. And I know they, they – listen, they had three good wins in California. They did. And it doesn't take away from the th- three wins. But I'm sorry. The, I've never once – and I'm flipping I would have these back and forth on that. I've never once bought that as really a valid excuse myself. What do, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Philly's top four – I mean – the fourth-rated offense in the league, and they're the defense. So they're the eighth in the NBA. So their net rating is fifth in the league. They're plus three point nine. So, I mean, they're a good basketball they're team. Good. Joel Embiid's a monster. Oh, he's so. I good. mean, honestly, he. You know, it's it, and this debate with Nikola Jokic is is valid in some ways. You know, because Embiid's having a great season, and the thing that is astounding if you look at both Jokic and Embiid. Their numbers have been getting better and better as the season goes on. I mean, like it's just it's just ridiculous how talented these two guys are, and and B probably impacts the defensive end a little more than Jokic does, just because he's so big and he's playing in drop coverage and he's able to switch and he just is so so massive. That that really impacted it. I think you and I we text about uh, the field goal percentage. Yeah. Um, they just, I mean, the the field goal percentage around the rim was just driven down because they were they were pretty tough defensively and I agree with you on the whole you know come back from a road trip play your first home game they've frankly just not played well at target center no no so this is one of my uh, early rules I learned with with you is you would walk down to a player to really see how tall he was you know you'd want (laughs) you'd want to you'd want to see is he 6'10 like you Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm Folks have to see Joel Embiid in person to realize what an enormous human being he is. He is so much bigger than Rudy Gobert. I mean, and that guy's skill level, that size and that skill level, I think we forget because of his injury, he missed two years, and that first year he came back, what did he play, 30, 40? Um this guy could be an all timer if he stays healthy. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing. It's almost like Shaquille O'Neal. Like as great as Shaq was, I, I think Shaq left a lot of uh potential on the table. Yeah. By, by not being in shape and um 
probably not dominating on the defensive end as much as he could, not being a better free thrower. I mean, those kinds of like little skill things. Like Embiid can shoot a three at a really high rate. He can make free throws at a high rate. Like he's, as you said, I mean, he's just super skilled. But there's something about his time in the NBA so far that you feel like he hasn't quite reached and scratched even the, the surface of where he can go. Like I think he, I think he can be even more talented than he, than he already. I agree. Is. But um, he's he's massive. Chad, they they and Alan and I were talking about this. They they list him at seven feet. I'm six ten. So and I and I've stood up and talked to Joel Embiid. He's significantly bigger, yes. taller than me. Oh, like God, significantly. Yes. Yeah. I, I think he, and and then also they they list him at two eighty. No way. I weigh two. I weigh two eighty. No way does he weigh two eighty. I mean, come he, on. He's got. He's got to weigh three twenty. Yeah. He's got. He's got to be. I mean, like, I just don't even know what I would do with it. And I said this about Shaq too. I I got out of the league when Shaq came into the league. So my last year was ninety two, the year that he was drafted. So ninety one, ninety two was my last year. And I mean, I, I don't know what I would have done. The Shaq just ragdolled guys my size. You know when he was in the league, and and you know Towns is so much significantly smaller than yes. Embiid. The the only really way that that Carl can beat Embiid is to take him out on the perimeter. Yeah, speed. And, I, I I would say this. Him. You know where you were broadcasting the other night is where you prime where you broadcast all the time. You yeah. know with TV, almost all the radio has been bumped up, and Allen was able to move lower because of that. I was lucky outside of a couple arenas. My whole run, we were courtside. And because the way the schedule worked, the Wolves would play the Lakers four times, and then we had the, those back-to-back years where they played what they played 12 times. And I just remember yeah. there'd be times where Shaq and, and Kevin would be right next to me. They'd be just, like, leaning up against kind of the bench there. And i think, okay, here's KG, 7'1", 250. He looks like... Me talking to you compared to Shaq. Shaq was epic. That's how big Embiid is, to, just to put in perspective. So you alluded to Towns. Let, let's get to this. Um, it looks like he's finally doing a little bit. It looks like the Wolves are finally willing to talk about it. Carl's obviously very sensitive in this area. I think t- for me, I think he's too sensitive. But I want to get to when he comes back. And I guess we should say if he comes back. But let's say he does come back. Let's say it's a couple weeks from now. How does he fit in? Do they start him? Does he come off the bench? Whose minutes does he take? If he's healthy, you have to play him. He's too good. I mean, you can't say, no, he's going to be disruptive. He was like the 17th best player in the game last year. Now, I'm not talking if it's injuries and, and he doesn't play okay. But if he's ready to go, how would you use him? That's a great question, um, and I haven't really talked to Finchie about this because you know it's been sort of a uh, a non sort of talking point between us. Like like Grady and I don't even talk about Carl really, unless you know unless we swerve into it somehow. But um, we don't speculate when he's going to come back. We don't t- we don't speculate about any uh, like you know how are they going to fit him back in? What are you going to do? Just because it's that's not really our job, you know. And and we'll report on it when it when it comes, but. Um, I, you know, preparing for uh, doing radio game with Allen on Tuesday, I did rewatch our game against Philly earlier in the season, and that happened before the town's injury. And actually, Carl played pretty well in that game. Yeah, I remember. And, that. Mm-hmm. 
And, 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 you know, and Finch was still able to get Nas in there for significant minutes. He was able to get a rotation. Kyle Anderson was with the second unit. He was, uh, he was a big part of that second unit early on before Carl got hurt. Like that was like, that was a nice little, you know, rotation that he had. I, I just think you go back, you go back to that rotation. I, but we're better now. I think that Mike Connolly being in into the lineup and certain light, like Mike, Mike is, was more assertive, like in the Sacramento game, he had 24 in that game, but, but Mike, Mike is kind of picking his spots. Mike Connolly has absolutely made Rudy Gobert better since he's been here. Rudy, Rudy, you could say this has been what a bit Rudy's better, more efficient stretches, Chad, um, just because he's not cannibalizing the shots. I mean, Ant, Ant is the main option. And then now without D'Lo, like he doesn't have that second score. So I really think we need Carl scoring. We need him absolutely to shoot the basketball. So 100%. it's a different land. It's a different landscape now. I think Connolly is so good and so professional and in the locker room. He changes the dynamic in a positive way. And I think D'Lo, you know, you you had you know he was always trying to figure out how to how, how to eat and how to serve. And it was always this push pull with with D'Lo. Well, you know, is it my is it my time? And a lot of times, D'Angelo would not let the game breathe. You know, he would he would come in and look for his shots, mm-hmm. and, and no matter what, shots right away. And, yep. and he would take away rhythm and ball movement and all that kind of good stuff. And, and Finch always talks about the bucket and sticky. There's none of that with with Conley, and and he unlocks Rudy more because and, and this is this is just you know Frank. D'Lo never trusted Rudy, didn't, didn't no. like passing, didn't like playing with him, did, didn't trust him, and really didn't know how to, how to pass the ball to him. I, I just had an on-court thing with Mike and Rudy and talked with Mike a bunch about this. And it took Mike a, about a year to figure out how to play, to play with Rudy and, and how to pass him the basketball. The way that he bounce passes the ball to Rudy is just it's more catchable. And so you're kind of taking away some of those – bobble passes that D'Lo and, and, and Rudy would have. But we need Carl scoring. So yeah. I think that it's going to be an injection of, of good skill sets to have Carl back into the lineup. And I, I would start him right away and go back to that same Gobert Towns I would starting lineup. Yeah, and this is me more than you because you don't have to do this. I, I just think Carl causing the organization to be twisting and turning in silence has been silly, but – he, he, now, this is a lineup I think is their best one, and it doesn't include Conley. This is my personal view. That, And I want to know if you can play it. Can you play in the playoffs Ant, McDaniels, Anderson, Towns, and Gobert? Can, I'm with you. Can, I, to me, I think that's their best five. With Conley, I miss a little bit of Ant with the ball. I think you're losing out in a little bit of what Ant was really starting to do well. But you're telling me if they're playing one of the better teams in the first round, I want those five on the floor. Can they? Can that five five some play against most teams? I asked I asked Finch about that um, when we were in Utah the last time. Just you know, just and that's the one way that I did bring up Towns with yeah. him. It's just you know, just you know, thinking about that. Because I like playing big. I mean, it's it's yes. just a it, and putting Jaden at the two. You know, it doesn't really matter really anymore. When you start running this, the kind of sets that we run, of course, it's a little bit different with with Carl at the four. Um, but Kyle can absolutely can absolutely do that. I I think that 
Um, he's such a good spacer of the floor, and he, he Kyle is just uh, as good as he's been. Like I've always been a fan of his, but seeing him every day, Chad, and he's and really good. Way more now yeah. too. He, he's yeah. just so good. Uh, that that's the lineup I think that that Finch will get to now. Obviously, opponent and matchups yeah. and time and score and, and situational basketball determines and drives like lineups a lot. But but I think it's a great lineup, and I, I would definitely get to that if I was Chris Finch. All right, brother. I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for the info, as always. Hey, Chad, hold on a second. Yeah, hey, I'm I'm doing the polar plunge on Saturday, dude. I'm I'm jumping in a frozen lake on Saturday. Nice knowing you. Yes, and it's going to be the second time I'm doing it. Me and Grady are doing it with Rebecca. Michael's steps on tie, and Antika's going to jump too. Is there a charity I component? Need, I need, I need, yes, I need you to go to my Twitter feed. That's a pinned tweet on my Twitter feed. I need, I need a dollar, five dollars doesn't matter. It's for a great cause, Special okay. Olympics, Minnesota. Great cause. And I need, well, to, I need people to, I need people to go there and donate. Well, and you know, don't don't go to my wife's. <laughs> don't go to my wife. <laughs> don't go to my wife. Yeah, yeah. She's you know, Special Olympics because Q means a lot to me. So yeah. Yes. Dad. At Jim Pete Hoops at yep. Jim Pete Hoops, uh, yep. help out boss. with Special Olympics, and then maybe I can step in after you're in the hospital for a month. I'll step in and I'll work with, <laughs> I'll work with Grady. Yeah, I'll expect you to I expect I expect you to jump with me next year, Chad. You're getting in there. Yeah, I'm busy. <laughs> All right, for that cause, I'd do it. All right, okay. man, be good. Okay. Tell Thanks, Tika Chad. I said hi. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. My boy Jim Pete here, fifty-two past two on CCO. Hey, I'm going to talk K&S, right? Is that what you want to talk about? I'd love to hear about your heating and cooling uh, issues at your house. Or No uh, issues. No issues. No issues because two years ago, K&S came out and they said, guess what? That furnace about to go out. That air conditioner about to go out. And guess what? We work with Lennox. So I'm set. I'm set for a decade. I'm set for 15 years. Who knows how long? What about the deal? KSHeating.com. KSHeating.com. Com. How about the deal they're offering up right now? They're calling it their best furnace deal since they started in the late 80s. You can get a furnace right now for under $3,000, $2,995. How do you do it? You buy a furnace and an air conditioner at the same time, and the furnace is under 3000 bucks. Also, qualified buyers, 0% interest for 18 months. You can call them, too. 952-697-4328. I've had him at my house for nine years. Professional, good people. Don't hesitate. KSEating.com. How about our guy Tiger? And then the ex-gal Erica Herman. That's a... Uh, I mean, Tiger's reputation is not going to give him the the first impression. It is not. <laughs> it's not. He might be right in this case. I, I have no clue. I know the accusation is very weird that he says, hey, why don't you take a quick trip? And then all of a sudden it's, hey, you're actually out of the house. And then she's saying she's she's allowed to be at the house for five years. I don't know. I don't understand well, that either. As you mentioned, given the reputation, can you confidently say it did not happen? No, 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 no. Tiger's background in this area, not good. Um. And then the fact that it's a trust that owns it, I don't, I mean, I do get that for some legal purposes, but I've never heard of that one. Hey, spur of the moment, you should go on a trip and then like couple his people meet her at the airport and say, oh, by the way, 
you're never going back. And then she says, no, I'm allowed to stay for five more years. Uh, We'll have to see where that one goes. Mr. Derusha and Dan Cook for the next three hours right here on Newstalk 830 WCCO.